Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar Magazine, sponsored by Phi Beta Kappa. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. If you were to distill the story of King Arthur and the Knights of Camelot down to its essence, you might alight on three nouns, sword, stone, table. That's the title of a new collection of Arthurian retellings, edited by Swapna Krishna and Jen Northington, that imagines the legends of yore in a London coffee shop, a dystopian Mexico City, a Anishinaabe country, and even on Mars. The legend of King Arthur itself is no stranger to multiple versions. It would take the entirety of this episode to name them all, to name even the pre-television versions. But the most canonical one would probably be a 15th century tale by Sir Thomas Mallory, Le Mort d'Arthur. The rough outline goes like this. King Uther and Queen Igraine have a child, Arthur, who is raised in secret on the advice of the wizard Merlin. Boy Arthur pulls a sword from a stone, fulfilling a prophecy that names him the rightful king of England. He marries a woman named Guinevere, acquires a round table, and the knights that sit around it do a lot of things defend against invaders, hunt for holy grails, and in the case of a certain knight named Lancelot, fall in love with the queen and start a civil war. There is a massive extended universe, including a guy named Gawain, doomed lovers Tristan and Isolde, and a lot of women named Elaine. And all of that is the subject of the anthology Sword, Stone, Table. Swapner Krishna and Jen Northington join us on the podcast to talk about all the Arthurs, Merlins, Guinevere's, Lancelots, Morgans, and more who populate the once and future land of our imagination. Thanks for talking to me, Jen and Swapna. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're really excited to be here. So I think King Arthur is in the air right now. Um, you know, I just saw the Green Knight this weekend, and I am really ready for a new spin on the Middle Ages. Was there a particular prompting for what got you guys thinking about doing a collection like this right now with this particular set of legends? Yeah, we've been working on this since 2018. So, you know, right now is sort of a relative term in publishing. But my idea originally was prompted by the fact that we were seeing, especially at that point, all of these Greek mythology retellings coming out in the adult fiction world. And I was like, oh, I I love that. Like, where is King Arthur? And I, you know, was looking around. I was seeing some coming through the YA and some were announced for later years. But I was like, I just, I want these stories. And so I came to Swapna because we had, when we worked together, one of the things we had bonded over was our mutual love of all things King Arthur, but in particular, the Mary Stuart Arthurian uh, quartet. And so uh, I was like, I, I want to do an anthology. Like, I want to see if people will write us stories. Like, do you want to do it with me? Because I knew there was no way I was going to do it by myself. <laughs> and fortunately, she said yes. Uh, and so, yeah, but it really just came out of that desire to like see those retell, like you said, you're so ready for them. And it's so, it feels like it's so right for the retelling. Like, where are they? Let's get them. Why? Like, why do you think people are still into these like dead knights and their sorceress friends? I love that phrasing. Sorry, dead knights and their sorceress friends. Like that's, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, there's just so much there. I think everybody, you know, even though traditionally the original material and then a lot of the retellings have been very Eurocentric, very, you know, heterosexual, although again, the original material has lots of other things in it, but the focus tends to be on those elements. Um, and very male, obviously. There's, there are so many characters. The power dynamics are so interesting. The, you know, romantic, platonic, like the relationship web is so complex and interesting. And because there, it never was one story. There are so many different ways to look at the same character, right? Like, Arthur, is he a hero or is he actually a villain who killed a lot of babies? Like, depending on where you're reading, both of those things are true or somewhere in between. And so, to me, it always felt like there was always more to learn and more to see and more characters to experience and, and you know, find myself in. You know, Arthur is the hero's journey. It's a very timeless tale that we retell over and over again. Um, I was texting with Jen the other day and I was like, wait, is Kylo Ren just Mordred? And it's like, yeah, I think he is. I think Kylo Ren is Mordred. And so like, you can, there really are archetypes and there's, you, you can retell, like these stories are just, they're still relevant. And I think, with Arthur specifically, and one thing that always like kind of calls to me, and that's it's why he's one of my favorite myths. I love the idea of the once and future king. I love the idea that there's hope. There's hope for the future, and I think we need that right now. Personally, I think you know the idea of somebody who embodies all these characteristics and is still very flawed, but can come save us from ourselves is very appealing right now. Yeah, it is striking that like opening the door to all of these retellings from different experiences also allows for different cultures to smash together in interesting ways that you don't really see outside of an anthropology course or any kind of situation where you're comparing like the mythic story of one culture with another but that's like all over this collection yeah I think Asma Zehnath Khan's story is very bombastic way to open the collection because it's this Moorish judge coming to like basically put Guinevere on trial and it's incredible. Yeah, and then you have Nisi Shaw's albino Ugandan sorceress coming to Camelot to to learn and to teach Merlin. I mean it's just there's so many there's so many cool reinterpretations of of how those stories fit into a much more international perspective for lack of a better word and i think that's just a growth an outgrowth of right like when we were looking for authors we were that's what we were looking for like the whole point is it's an international myth now of course it originated you know within britain but it has become so international and i think we wanted to show that everybody can own a piece of this and everybody can see themselves in this and it's not just for one you know demographic I think, too, that the retelling comes at a time in an era when we're all hungry for a lot of new different voices. And the collection says, like, right on the back, race-bent, gender-bent, queer stories. So what were you looking for in particular in assembling the collection? Because those are three big categories. (laughs) You're not going to fit everything in. There are only 16 stories in here, but... Yeah. So that's the thing that we were very upfront with from the beginning. We are not going to, with 16 stories, there's untold number of marginalized identities and we are not going to be able to cover all of them. So our hope was that any reader would find a piece of themselves represented in this collection. Um, if not, you know, their whole selves, 
just because, you know, the breadth is it's just not possible with 16 stories. But in terms of what we um, looked for, we Jen and I basically um, sat down and made our, like, fantasy list of, like, who do we want to see a King Arthur story from? Like, what writers do we love and we admire? And, and like, it's like a lot of ways we were assembling this collection for ourselves as fans of King Arthur and fans of these writers. Like, what are the ones we wanted to see? And it was about the stories these writers wanted to tell. Well, what about the breadth of the stories themselves, right? Because we've had many hundreds of years with King Arthur and retellings of King Arthur or, you know, Yankees being dropped in King Arthur's court and so on. Do you feel like every angle of the the legends were told or what particular ones of that were you looking for? Oh, no. I mean, I think you could do this indefinitely and still find new angles of stories to tell like 14 more collections of, and you know, I want as many of these stories as I can get as a fan of the original material, materials, because there's no one original, right? But yeah, I, I guess it, we were thinking, you know, let's see who's out there and who's interested and what do they want to do and who, which characters speak to them, you know, which angles do they find in there? And we, you know, every now and then we like asked for something particular, um, so we knew, for example, that we wanted cross-genre representation as much as possible. So um, Asma Zahanat Khan agreed to have crime elements in her story. And we got to a point where I realized suddenly, like, we had no Mordred. And I was like, well, we can't have no Mordred. Like, that, I, like, personally, I'm a fan of that character. I mean, fan. is I think he's so interesting. And then Maria Devana Headley came on, and I was like, well, how do you feel about telling a Mordred story? But otherwise, you know, we... We didn't ask them to do much more specific than that. We were really just like, what speaks to you in the Arthurian canon? And how would you like to mess with it? <laughs> For lack of a better phrasing. Totally agree with Jen. And we really set out to, um, you know, shape the stories that these writers wanted to tell rather than coming into it with our own preconceptions. And I think you know, a lot of people have asked us about the breadth of, you know, the past, present, future, like just the breadth of the types of stories. And we're like, we don't really have much to do with that. We didn't tell somebody you have to write a historical story. You need to write a future story. That's what they did. Like, who would have thought, you know, Alex T would write a story set on Mars. If you had told me that, I would not. That's not what I would have thought. But uh, it was really interesting to see how these writers wanted to play with, um, you know, both the Arthur legend and the short form. Yeah, I mean, the legend has been around for so long that you kind of have the the tropes that show up in everything. And I thought the title of the collection was kind of genius because, like, those are the three nouns that you would most associate with this myth. Uh, were there elements that came up periodically that surprised you? Times where you read a story and you were like, damn, I never looked at Morgana in this way. Like, this is a totally new spin on things. Yeah, I will confess that Elaine was not on my radar. And then we got <laughs> multiple Elaine stories and I was like, I have been missing out on this Elaine, yes. you know, canon stuff. Yeah, absolutely agree. Elaine, I just, I didn't even give her a second thought. And wow, we got some really powerful stories about her. Right. Yeah, I really loved Flat White, which was very funny. So fun. And very much about that, like, okay, well, if you're going to forget me. Um, Elaine for non-Arthur nerds is, which I'm actually not. I just read the story, so I know this, <laughs> is the Lady of Shalott, <laughs> in addition to there's a couple other Elaines in there. Um, yeah. 
What was it like trying to edit across, well, for one, across genres, across authors? Obviously, you had some time to assemble this, but I mean, how did you sort of reconcile, all right, this is the Lancelot of this story versus like, this is the Lancelot in Mexico City in the near future, kind of. Was that difficult? What was that process like? Maybe it's just partly the way that the editing process worked because, you know, we had deadlines, but they shifted around and everybody was on a slightly different schedule. So we were editing, you know, stories sort of individually rather than as a whole group. Uh, and each story was so distinct. Like when you read, even though like, for example, we have a couple Arturos that just kind of happened, but they're, they're so different character wise. They don't have much in common aside from the name. And that they are, you know, Arthur being reborn in a, in a new way. So it really, I, you know, it's so funny that you asked it because it didn't even occur to me to like, be like, okay, I have to keep straight, like, which Elaine am I on or which Lancelot am I on? Like, they all have such a distinct vibe and such a distinct atmosphere and setting that there, it really didn't feel like there was that much overlap. I do remember, that at one point we were like, okay, we, nobody else can write about Merlin. <laughs> like we have, we, we're going to like get maxed out on Merlin. So nobody else can write about Merlin. So when we were still pitching authors, we were like, and you can write about whoever you want, except for Merlin. Um, so, <laughs> so that was, you know, we just didn't want 16 Merlin stories. Although I, I honestly would read that collection, but that's not what we were trying to do. So that I think was the trickiest part, which wasn't even that tricky because it came so early in the process. And I think it helped that we didn't, cause like Jen and I had the conversations before we kind of started getting the stories in. Like, do we need to go back and read canon? Do we need to read Lamorta Arthur? Do we need to reread? And then we both were just kind of like, no, the whole point is we're doing something new. We're not trying to make these archetypes or make these characters relate back to what people think they know or what people have read in the past. The whole point is to make it new. So we specifically did not revisit anything and we did not want to hamper um authors by being like well you're writing this character so you need to write them in this way i mean it is interesting that 16 people would have written about merlin if you'd given them the chance instead of cutting <laughs> them off you know and there have been so many retellings of these stories with these characters or allusions to them but it's funny to think about it in tension with fan fiction, say, of the last couple decades. It doesn't feel like exactly the same thing. It feels different from fan fiction in some way, maybe because it's bound up and published partially. But in some ways, like, that's that's really what it is. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, yes, I, yeah, like... <laughs> I, I don't hesitate to say it is Arthurian fan fiction. It is. That's absolutely it what is. it is. And, uh, and, and just because it's traditionally published and, you know, has a binding, like you said, and comes from authors who have published original works doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's not fan fiction. But also, I don't consider fan fiction. I know some people consider that to be sort of a derogatory designation, or they think that it doesn't, it's not as creative, it's not as legitimate, it's not an art form that should be considered real literature, to which I, I know Swepna and I both completely disagree. I mean, fan fiction has, has always been part of the canon. I mean, we were talking about Greek retellings, right? Like Madeline Miller's Achilles, you know, Song of Achilles is fan fiction. It's also a New York Times bestseller and a prize winner, and that doesn't make it any less fan fiction. Um, think of all the Sherlock Holmes or Pride and Prejudice retellings out there. Like, those are all fan fiction. It's 
fiction about a character you are a fan of. That's all it means. And uh, I am a big fan of all of that. Yeah, or like Wide Sargasso Sea or A Thousand Acres, you know, which are taught in colleges. (laughs) A hundred percent. It is interesting that there seems to be like an opening for that in big mythic stories like King Lear, say, or King Arthur. What is it about this myth, which is so old and so Eurocentric, that invites all of these different perspectives? I feel like um, part of it is people, you know, these are the myths like we were taught in school. You know, I read King Lear in school. I read King Arthur, you know, Black and Tennyson's Idols of the King in school. And I think it's part of people, you know, people of color, people with marginalized identities. We grew up on this. Like, this is what we were taught. I wasn't taught, you know, Indian literature in school. I was taught King Lear and I was taught King Arthur. And so part of this is the idea that we own these as much as anyone else. And we deserve to see ourselves in these reinterpretations. Shakespeare borrowed from other authors. These are meant to be reinterpreted and they're meant to be retold. And let's just do it in a more inclusive way, which we are not the first to do this with King Arthur. And there are so many. We are in like a golden age right now of like, inclusive, diverse King Arthur retellings. And it's amazing to be a part of that zeitgeist right now. Well, what do you want to see in the future for retellings of King Arthur? I realized like last week, we don't have a Tristan and Isolde story. So that's what I would want. Yeah. And Igraine, I I love, I've always loved Igraine um, as a character and like what a mm-hmm. complicated, difficult position she is put in by those stories. And I would love to see an Igraine retelling. Um, I also, I know she's not popular. Like this came up on a recent event that people are like not down with Morgays, Morgos, depending on how you spell it. But I would love a Morgays retelling. Like it, let's get in there. Like she is mm-hmm. such a flashpoint in, in so many of the versions of the stories. Also, we don't have a Gawain. Well, we have, we have Alexander Cheese, Little Green Men, which is an, a Gawain and the Green Knight retelling. But I would love more going. I feel like there's more to going that could be explored. Yeah. And um, as, like, not necessarily a character, but as a, like, setting Avalon, we never... The, the collection did grapple with the idea of Avalon and what it represents and, um, you know, what it is to this myth. So there's... I feel like there's a lot still... There's... I mean, there's so... There's so much... I feel like we covered so much in this, but there's so much more to this universe, which I love. I think that's why it endures in a lot of ways, because it is so broad that you can, you don't have to love the entire myth, the entire legend. You can just grasp onto what you do like. We have links in the show notes to the short story anthology, Sword, Stone, Table, Old Legends, New Voices, edited by Swapna Krishna and Jen Northington, along with a few other essays about the land of Camelot. We'll be back next week. Till then, take care and stay sharp.